Amen. You may be seated tonight. I'll let you be seated for our reading. We're reading a little extra. The book of Judges, chapter number 8. And I want you to know it's good to see you tonight. I hope you've had a good day and a good week so far. And I hope what God's going to give you tonight, you'll take it and apply it. And I, I assure you, whatever it is, you'll have a better week if we'll just be obedient to that. And I was thinking there a moment ago as Brother A.J. was giving us our prayer request, what a privilege it is to be able to pray for other people. Uh, to be able to go before the throne of grace on behalf of others who have needs in their life. And we've all been there. We've all been to places where we had physical needs or spiritual needs or we're just bearing burdens. And uh, maybe sometimes others didn't even know what they were. But what a blessing it is to know that people are praying for us. And right here in our own church family tonight, we have several who have needs. And I want to encourage you, don't forget about them after Wednesday. Uh, you know, the Haydens, they're going to be carrying uh, that burden for a little while for sure. And Mark Bickham tonight had, uh, or this today, had uh, gallbladder surgery, and he's home now. And uh, I'm sure would enjoy a call and encouragement from him and uh, others. But what a blessing it is we get to do that. And I just want to encourage you tonight, uh, don't forget about the folks we mentioned on Wednesday. They need prayer, and we need prayer each and every day of the week. Judges chapter number 8 tonight, we're going to continue our look into a thought we began last week on advancing in adversity. And what we're looking at in this series, if you want to call it that, uh, just kind of taking our time and looking at a few topics that I believe are very timely for us right now as we go through this extended period of oppression, uh, this extended period, this season of a burden that we're carrying, uh, how that we might advance in the adversity. Uh, if you're not careful, as we mentioned last week, the temptation is going to be to curl up in the corner and just cry. And I'm sure all of us have had a moment like that at some point over the last six or seven months. Uh, if you haven't had one of those moments, I'd like to know what vitamins you use because I definitely am not getting that from the ones that I take. Uh, but I'm sure we've all had those difficult times over the last six months uh, where we wanted to quit. But to be honest with you, God doesn't call us just to be on defense. God calls us to be on offense. And the Word of God shows us how we can advance in adversity. And last week we looked at the church and how the church can advance in adversity. And we looked at the three things that are needed for the church to continue to do just that. And we looked at unity and sacrifice and focus. As we as the church will keep our unity where it needs to be uh, and be willing to sacrifice of ourselves and keep our focus on what we are working toward, I assure you we'll be able to advance in the adversity. But tonight we're going to look at more of an individual role and how we can advance personally uh, in this area of adversity. We're looking at one of my favorite accounts in Judges 7, Judges chapter 8. Uh, you know you have a few messages that you preach uh, throughout the years, over 25 years. I've preached a few of them and one of my favorite messages I ever preached came out of this passage of Scripture to where the Midianites have God people really under their thumb for about seven years, uh, and they have compassed them. Over 130,000 troops have them surrounded, and God calls Gideon a ragtag army of 300 men to go up against them. And I love the fact that God used just a small army to get his job done. That way God gets all the glory through it. And we know the story. God had them surround the enemy up in the mountains at night, and they put torches over in uh, the clay pots that were easily broken, and they had trumpets. And when God gave them the signal, they blasted the trumpets and broke the pots and the light was shining around. They thought they were surrounded. The Bible says the men began to draw their swords on one another and God just brought a great victory. Now we're picking up at the end of this account in chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter number 8 uh, as they're really just cleaning up the loose ends. They've had a few guys escape uh, and they've got to go take care of them. And we're going to pick up in verse number 1. I want you to see something very important. Tonight I'm going to take my time. I only have two points. I'm going to take my time and I want to just share with you two thoughts tonight on this series of advancing in adversity. Notice verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, and the men of Ephraim set
said unto him, speaking of Gideon here, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide him sharply. They are burning him down. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezar? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him. And when he had said that, when he had said that. Now watch verse 4. It's our key text tonight. The Bible says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him. Now notice this next part, what the Bible says. Faint, yet pursuing them faint yet pursuing them. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight and a very important message, Lord, that you've laid upon my heart. And Lord, it has, uh, it has guided me and directed me even in this week, Lord, as I sought to do your will better in the midst of adversity. Now, I pray you'd help us as Central Baptist Church, Lord, to be unified in moving forward in your will. Uh, Lord, jumping over the hurdles that are going to come our way and show us tonight, Lord, in the example of Gideon, how we can do that better. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're picking up in chapter number eight, and as you can tell, there is a heated conversation taking place. Uh, Gideon's done what God's told him to do. Gideon did exactly what God told him to do. In this very strange way, Gideon was just obedient to God. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sure if God had said that to some of us, possibly me included tonight, I may have questioned God on how are you going to bring about victory with the clay pots and with the torches and the trumpets. But God showed him exactly how he was going to do that. Gideon was outnumbered, he was outmanned, and he was outgunned. And yet God brought victory simply through obedience. If there's anything we can learn tonight, that's that's a common theme all throughout Scripture. The blessings of God and the victory from God always comes through obedience. And here God is using the unlikely to give victory. Now, in the midst of this battle, the battle is just about over with. There's been a small group. The two kings have fled south and then across Jordan or, or, or south. And the two princes have headed south and then over across Jordan. And they've called in uh, the Ephraimites to come in and help them. They're their brethren uh, over on the other side to come in and help them clean up uh, the, the folks that are scattering a little bit. And when they get there, the Bible says in verse 1, the men of Ephraim says, why hast thou served us thus? Thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight. Now understand what's happening here. The battle is still raging, okay? Uh, they're going to catch the ones who got across Jordan. That's what Gideon's about to go and do. And yet, before they can go do that, all of a sudden the men of Ephraim come up and they've got a bone to pick uh, with Gideon. They come to him and says, listen, why didn't you call us when the battle began? We wanted to be at the forefront of the battle. We wanted to be right there leading the charge. And now you're calling us after most of the battle is already over. I'm going to call this one of Satan's sucker punches, all right? Have you ever had one of those sucker punches? You ever get punched out of the blue all of a sudden when, when something you were not expecting? Here's Gideon in the midst of this great battle. He's fighting with 300 men, and he's fighting an army of over 130,000. And in the midst of this great battle, all of a sudden, one of his own men comes out from nowhere and has a, has a bone to pick with him. And he tells him, listen, I wish you would have called us. I wish you would have said something. We wanted to be out front, and now here you are getting out there, winning all the victories victories, and we feel like we were left alone. This is why I told you last week, you better beware of internal division. 
all right? Beware of internal division. Where the devil cannot hit us head on, he's going to try to hit us from the inside. And here's Gideon winning a great victory with the enemy on the outside. But notice where the battle's coming from. The contention is coming from the inside. I wrote myself a note today. I want to remember this in my own life. The men of Ephraim were more concerned with their feelings than they were with fighting. They were more concerned, hey, you hurt my feelings here. Hey, you let me down here. We wanted to be part of the battle. And here they are in the midst of a heated battle, and now there's internal division going on. And yet Gideon cared more about the fight than his feelings. So how do you know that? Look what he did. Verse number two, he says, what have I done now in comparison to you? He says, yeah, we had this battle, but look what you did. He says, you caught, if you will, I'm giving you the Jeremiah Andrews version of this, okay? He says, you went and you caught Oreb in verse number three, and you caught Zeb. What was I able to do in comparison of you? Notice what Gideon did. Gideon humbled himself. He says, look, you guys caught the princes. I just caught the regular old guys out there. And the Bible says that their anger was abated toward them when he had said that. Now watch what Gideon's about to do. He's in the midst of one big fight, and then a small fight breaks up within the midst of his own ranks. And then verse number four, after that is settled, the Bible says Gideon came to Jordan, passed over. He's still chasing the guys that got away. The Bible says the 300 men that were with him, they were faint, yet pursuing. Do you know what that is? That is nothing less than advancing in adversity. Listen, they have been fighting over 100,000 men in the middle of the night in this, this, this drawn-out battle, and yet the Bible says they didn't stop at Jordan. They continued fighting them all the way across Jordan until they had caught them all. Folks, I want to ask you a question tonight. Why? What was it that was driving Gideon? What was it that made Gideon not let up and just keep going in the midst of all the adversity of the battle that he was going through this night? What drove him? Brother Nate preached a wonderful message last Sunday night on motivation. Can I tell you something? Listen, if you're going to advance in adversity, you're going to have to have the right motivation. You've got to have the right fuel in your tank. You're going to have to have the right thing motivating you to keep going in spite of the adversity. All throughout uh, history, we look at great men and women of God who went to do great things for the cause of Christ. But there were men and women just like you and I were. They had problems just like you and I do. One I want to read to you about for a few moments is one you'll know very well. It was William Carey. Let me read you a few things about the ministry of William Carey. We celebrate him and what God used him to do and the word of God that was translated into so many languages and how so many lost were won for Christ. And not only that, through the testimony of William Carey, many young people surrendered to missions to go around the world. But let me tell you about how William Carey got his start. As a young man, he raised up his voice that they should send missionaries to all foreign fields. And he was told this, young man, sit down. When God seeks to convert the heathen, he will do so without consulting you or me. He had a, an education up to the age of 12, and he was rejected for being a missionary because he did not have enough formal training. He preached his first sermon uh, in order to be ordained, and he was rejected and had to wait two more years to preach another sermon before he could be approved to be a missionary. After arriving in India, he would lose three children. The strain of living on a minimal provision that they had slowly drove his wife insane. He had to wait seven years before his first convert. Persecution, child sacrifice, and the burning of widows over their husbands' graves were common in the area that he was being called to minister to. 
The East India Trading Company persecuted them because they did not want missionaries in the area. In 1812, a fire destroyed his printing shack, and he lost over uh, one year's worth of work in translating the Bible. He suffered malaria and cholera, and the poverty eventually forced him to take a secular job. And yet William Carey just kept advancing in the midst of all this adversity. And the question I have is how? How? We have people slam the door in our face and we invite them to church. We have someone call us a bad name because we ask them if they've trusted Christ as their Savior. And we want to quit and go home. How did the great men and women of God and the biblical characters such as Gideon keep advancing in the midst of adversity? And that's what I'm going to look at tonight in this series, What Fueled His Fight? And we're going to look at the fuel of our fight. What is fueling your fight? And I'm going to give you two things that I believe motivated Gideon to advance in the midst of adversity. I want you to notice something in verse number four. We're going to jump right into it. I'm going to give you two things. These are two things you're going to need tonight, I assure you. The Bible says that Gideon was faint yet pursuing. Now, notice that last word. The Bible says he was pursuing them. Now, it's important for us to notice tonight what Gideon was pursuing. What was he chasing after, all right? I mean, there's some things worth chasing after tonight, I would believe. Uh, I mean, I'll chase after a good meal from time to time. I'll chase after a good hunt trip from time to time. Uh, I chased after my wife for a whole year before I called her. I thought she was worth chasing after. So there are some things worth chasing after. But what was Gideon pursuing? The Bible says he was pursuing the Midianites. He was pursuing his enemy. He was pursuing the people that had oppressed them for seven years. But here's what we've got to understand. The Midianites held the key for why Gideon was motivated to keep going. Number one tonight, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the key, the victory that is in front of us. The victory that is in front of us. The reason Gideon was pursuing the Midianites is because the Midianites were the key to Gideon having victory. Now, folks, if Gideon did not pursue them and defeat them, then Gideon would not have had victory. I want to tell you something. There is no motivation like winning. I don't know about you, but I like winning. I don't like losing. I mean, the other night in the volleyball game, our girls were just, I mean, they were lights out playing in there. I mean, they were just rolling. I told, uh, I think it was Brother Matthews, I was clapping so hard, my hands were just stinging as I went home. I mean, it was an exciting time, and I watched the girls' faces. Uh, the girls had a growing year last year, and they were uh, learning a lot last year. We were hoping this year was going to be better, and it's already better. And I watched the girls' face when their eyes begin to realize, we could win this. We might win one. I was like, look, you don't even have to win the game. Let's just get one match, and hey, we got a leg up on last year. Amen? And I started watching the girls, and their eyes began to light up, and they began to realize we could actually win this, and they got motivated. They were clapping for one another, encouraging one another. I mean, somebody would do something wrong, and they would go over and give them a pep talk. What was motivating them? Winning. It was winning. They realized if we just keep going, we have a better chance of winning than if we quit. And can I tell you what motivated Gideon? He was faint yet pursuing. You know what was motivating him? He wanted to win. Victory was just on the other side of Jordan, but he was going to have to keep going even though he was tired. I mean, folks, I mean, we've all been tired of the last six months, all having to do things out of our normal schedule, and I never thought I would say that because I never lived by a schedule. But let me tell you something. I just want to go to bed before 10. I'm getting there. My daughter can stay up all that she wants. I just want to go to bed early one night. I mean, listen, I know what it's like to be tired. Gideon was tired. He had fought 120,000 men. And yet the Bible says he was still pursuing. Why? Because the victory was in front of him. 
What will motivate us tonight as the people of God to keep going in spite of adversity is the simple fact that the only way we're going to achieve victory and the will of God for our lives is to keep going regardless. When the battle gets tough, we got to keep going. When we get tired, we got to keep going. When there's internal division, we just got to keep going. When the enemy's fighting and the battle's heated, we got to keep going. Why? Because the only way we're going to have victory is to keep going. I've told you before this story, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And I don't mind telling you about it if it'll help you a little bit. Uh, back in 1994, I ran track for seminary junior high school right up uh, Highway 49. I ran the 100 meters. I enjoyed running the 100 meters. And I thought I was pretty fast, you know. And uh, <clears throat> they fired the gun. The boy to my right was from Richton. I'm down on the blocks. They fired the gun. My hand went out from under me, and I fell flat on my face. Now, 100 meters is over in about 10 to 12 seconds, depending on how fast you are. By the time you get up off the ground and look up, the race was over. And I am, look, you're in front of the grandstands. Everybody's looking at me. I am so, I wanted to dig a hole and climb into it. It was horrible. It was horrible. I look up in the stands. There's my mom and my dad and my brother and all my friends. There's no chance that I can win this race. My coach comes up to me and my coach says, Coach Allen says, look, you got to go, you got to cross the finish line. I'm like, no, the race is over. I mean, the other guys are already in the locker room drinking Gatorade. He says, no, you got to get a point for the team. you got to finish the race, and you're not going to finish the race if you don't get up and get moving. Now, folks, as simple as that is, can I tell you, we need to hear that tonight. Look, we're in the midst of this battle. We're in the midst of adversity, and we've got fires raging everywhere. Look, there's fightings without. There's fightings within. And, folks, the devil's trying to get that crowbar in everywhere he can, and it makes you just want to sit down and stop, doesn't it? Makes you want to quit and just go home. But look, there's no victory if you quit. And the reason Gideon kept going was because the victory was in front of him. If he stopped, he was never going to have it. There's a story that's told for true. I would hate to tell you it's true and it not be true because, unfortunately, not everything on the Internet is true. I know that's hard to believe, but it's not. But there's a story about Napoleon. I heard it years ago, and I looked it up today just to make sure I had the details right. There was a battle that Napoleon was in and uh, weren't doing too well, and uh, that just got all over him. But he finally had to sound the, the retreat. And he looked over at his bugler, and he says, sound the retreat. And his bugler picks up his bugle, and he blows the trumpet. When he blows his trumpet, he blows a charge instead of a retreat. And all of a sudden, the men just charged on down into the valley and kept fighting on the enemy. He says, I told you to blow a retreat. And he gets up, blows it again, and he blows a charge. He says, look, if you don't, if you don't blow a retreat, our guys are going to get killed. Here's what he said. Here was the quote. The bugler says, you did not teach me to play the call to retreat, only the call to charge. With that, Napoleon told the man to continue sounding the call to charge. The bugler did just that, and when the, man, the men saw Napoleon's confidence, they charged and won the battle. You see, their boss was up there on the hill. Their leader was up on the hill, and the leader was giving them the signal, hey, just keep going, just keep going. And the men assume, hey, he must know something we don't, so we're just going to keep on charging, and they got the victory. Now, folks, can I tell you, our commander's up on the hill tonight. Our commander's looking at us tonight saying, hey, keep going, keep going, keep advancing. Don't be weary in well-doing. Can I tell you why? Because there's no victory if you don't keep moving. There's no way we're going to cross this finish line. And by the way, he knows something we don't. He knows how long we got left. Wouldn't it be a shame for you to quit tonight and the trump of God to sound tomorrow? Talk about bad timing. You ever have a bad time? You ever stuck your foot in your mouth? I do it all the time. That foot mouth disease, oh my goodness. 
I'm terminal. I got it bad. You know, you ever, you ever say a joke at the wrong time? Yeah, bad time. Oh, my goodness. That just keeps you humble, Brother Jim. Keeps you humble. Evidently, I have a root of pride in my life, and I need to be kept humble from time to time. And one of the best ways to do that is to stick your foot down your throat. Boy, it would be bad timing if you quit now and the trouble of God were to sound tomorrow. Can I tell you, our general's up there on the hill, and it's no mistake that he's blowing the charge. He's telling us, listen, I know there's adversity. I know there's a battle on the outside. I know there may be battles on the inside. Listen, you may be fighting a fight in your home tonight. You may be fighting a fight at your work. You may be fighting a fight with your kids, God forbid. But listen to me. The only way we're going to have victory is to keep moving forward because the victory's in front of us. And so Gideon says, you know what? I'm faint, yet I'm pursuing. Now, can I tell you something about victory? Even though God promises us victory, it doesn't mean we don't have to fight for it. All right? I want you to think about the Christian life tonight. Think about what Hebrews calls the Christian life. The book of Hebrews calls the Christian life a race. All right? I like a good race. I'm not as good as I used to be. There's something going on in here that moves when I run now, and i got to get it checked out before, you know, I don't know what that is jiggling around in here that slows me down a little bit. But I like a good race. Can I tell you about a race? The only way you'll win a race is to run the race. That's why Hebrews 12 says, listen, the Christian life's a race, but you've got to run it. You've got to run it, and we're running it forward. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. He's reaching forward to the things which are before. Why? Paul wanted to win. If you want to win, you've got to keep going. I'm going to tell you, in spite of the adversity tonight, we just got to keep going. Why? Because the victory is in front of us. Ephesians calls the Christian life a fight. And I'll tell you, it's a fight. Look, that armor is not decoration. That armor's for use. Christian life's a fight. But can I tell you, I've just about every fight I've ever been in, I found the only way you're going to win is to fight. It's not just going to happen magically. You see, the Christian life's not a freebie. That's why Jesus called it in the book of Luke a cross. Crosses have to be carried. We're not magically going to win the victory. We're going to have to pursue it. And at times, we got to pursue it in the midst of adversity. Can I tell you this, by the way? We've had it pretty good in America for the last 200-and-something years. God's blessed us. We haven't had persecution. I mean, folks, listen. I mean, from time to time, we'll get a little bit of persecution from somebody there in Washington. But truthfully, we've had it pretty easy. And we're not accustomed. We're spoiled. That's what it is. We're just not accustomed to a little bit of pushback. But can I tell you something? The devil's fighting for the same thing we're fighting for. The devil's running in the same race we're running in. Listen, the devil doesn't want us to win more than we want ourselves to win. And the only way we're going to cross the finish line is to realize victory's in front of us. So in spite of feeling faint, we've got to keep pursuing It's kind of like the term the Bible uses for winning the loss. The Bible says that he that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. That's where we get our term, soul winning. You notice it's not called soul waiting. Think about it. It's called soul winning. You've got to go out there and win them, all right? I wish people just knocked on my door. I'd love to have some of those uh, Philippian jailer moments. Brother Andrews, what must I do to be saved? I would, look, I would set up a drive through window on the other side of my office where people could just pull up and ask me how to be saved if that was the case. But it's not soul waiting. It's called soul winning. You got to get out there and win them. And can I tell you, just about anything I've ever won, I realize that you have to work to win stuff. Amen? You got to work to win stuff. I see you folks all the time on Facebook. You're sharing those little butcher shop things. What you want? 
You want some of that pineapple sausage, don't you? Man, that stuff's good. I forget who introduces to that. Somebody introduces to that. My soul, pineapple and sausage. Whoever would have thought? That's good stuff. And you're sharing that stuff and you're sharing that stuff. Why are you going through all that trouble? Because you want to win the sausage. The sad thing is this. We, whoo, what was that? Some of you thought the trump of God had sounded and you were wondering why we were all still here. Some of you, I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, some of you, I would be surprised. We put more work into winning sausage than we do to winning souls. I mean, how many times do you sit there at those contests and you're filling out all those entry forms? You know, I just want to win, I want to win that trip to Albuquerque. Who wants to go to Albuquerque to begin with, all right? You, you fill out all those forms. Why? You want to win? And you're willing to put in the work? The sad thing is, you say, man, how do those people win people to Christ all the time? I hear about these people winning people to Christ. They work at winning them to Christ. All right? You got to work at something that you want to win. And the sad thing is we work for a lot of stuff to win things that we can't take with us. Now, folks, tonight I believe God wants us to win. He's giving us what we need to win just like Gideon. But we're going to have to pursue even when we're faint. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9 with me real quickly. 1 Corinthians 9, I want to show you something. Straight from the Word of God. You can't beat that. 1 Corinthians 9, I want you to look down to about verse number Look at verse number 25. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Notice what he's saying. A lot of people are running, but only one person is going to win. So run that ye may obtain. What does that mean? That means if you're going to win, you got to run. But you've got to put some work in the race if you desire to win the race. I'll tell you something funny real quick. I've got, I got to tell you this. Uh, we raised our daughter to be a soft, feminine young lady. You know, I, I just kind of believe that's the way God wanted her to be, so that's the way we raised her to be. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't want her being bench pressing more than her husband, and, you know, I don't want her voice to be deeper than her husband's. I like her to be a soft, feminine young lady, somebody, the guy we want to marry. I'm just being honest with you, putting that out there. And, uh, and then she starts playing volleyball. And, uh, man, we had to have this talk. Uh, that, uh, you know, she's out there on the volleyball court and she's not wanting to get anybody's way and she's trying to, oh, I didn't want to get in their way and you know what, I didn't want to, I said, listen, when you cross that blue line, you go into beast mode. Your teeth grow longer and sharper, you throw elbows, break clavicles, whatever you got to do when you get out there. Why? Because the goal is to win. Well, I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and I hope I'm not undermining your coaching. I really don't, but I said, you got to have a little bit more grit. I said, look, outside of that rectangle on the gym floor, you be that soft, feminine, sweet young lady we've raised you to be. But when you cross that line, something should happen to you. <sighs> you get a little bit of grit and a little bit of growl when you get out there. Well, I, listen, I said, knock it off her forehead. I don't care. Win the game. Win the game. We watched them out there the other night, and we got a little bit more grit in there. Amen? Now, folks, listen, if we want to win, we got to work at it. We've got to be willing to go through a little bit of adversity, a little bit of the feeling faint. Why? So that we can pursue and win. So Paul says in verse 24, so run that you may obtain. Verse 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. He's speaking of the Roman Olympics. They had that little bitty ivy crown that they would put on their head for winning. Usually Nero would crown himself. I believe Paul was kind of taking a jab at him right here, but that's just my opinion. The Bible says, but we an incorruptible, watch verse 26, I therefore, 
Paul's saying, here's my strategy. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. Paul says, I want you to know, I'm not shadow boxing. Some of us Christians tonight, look, you're just, you're doing one of these in your fight. You're just pretending, you know, look, the devil's not pretending. You're about to get your, your lights knocked out. The devil's fighting to win. And the only way you're going to win is for you to fight to win. Paul says, I want you to know, listen, I'm not running uncertainly. Paul says, I've got somewhere that I'm going and I'm on my way. And in spite of all of the adversity, I'm running. Why? Because I want to win. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it in subjection, listen close, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. Why did Paul say, I run with certainty? Why did Paul say, I land every punch? He, he said it. Number one, I want to win. Number two, I don't want to lose. He says, I don't want to become a castaway. Paul says, I don't want to lose. I don't want God to put me up on a shelf. I want to stay in the race. I want to run my race and finish my race. And Paul said, the victory is in front of me. That's why Paul just kept running. Dwight Eisenhower said, there are no victories at discount prices. We all love dirt cheap, amen? Remember, the Nate was telling me about a Ninja coffee pot. He got, oh, you didn't get it dirt cheap. No, somebody else. But he got a good deal on a Ninja coffee pot. You want some good coffee? But Nate's got a good coffee pot in his office. You go to Dirt Cheap and you get you some good stuff at cheap prices, don't you? I mean, we come home, they always ask me, did you find what you were looking for? And I always tell them I found things I wasn't even looking for at Dirt Cheap. I do. I find some good stuff in there. I mean, Christmas presents, you know, anniversary gifts. You just never know what you're going to find in there. But I'll tell you one thing you're not going to find at Dirt Cheap. Victory. You're not going to find it at a discount store. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to fight for it. And sometimes you're going to be faint, yet you're going to have to pursue. You see, Gideon said, you know, I, I can't let up. I can't let up. Gideon says, the enemy's on the other side of Jordan. And even though we've beat most of these old boys, there's still some of those guys left. And the only way I'll have victory is to keep moving forward in order to win. Because the victory is out front. I can't help but think about Christ tonight. I'm going to hurry the Bible says that Christ goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And oh, you're talking about adversity in a race that none of us could run. Who would have fainted before we ever got to the Garden of Gethsemane? And yet Christ, the Bible says he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does the Bible say? He went a little further. You keep reading, you'll find he didn't just stop in the Garden of Gethsemane. He kept going all the way up the hill of Calvary, all the way to the cross for you and for me. Why did he keep going? Because the victory was in front of him. You see, he advanced in the midst of adversity. And by the way, the adversity he faced in the Garden of Gethsemane is unlike any we will ever see in our life. As he sweat as drops of blood, who knows what the powers of darkness were doing to him at that moment. And yet he advanced in adversity. Why? Because the victory was in front of him. Number one tonight, what fuels our fight? Well, the victory that's in front of us. But then I want to give you one more thing. And it's a little bit scary. The Bible says in verse 4, he was faint yet pursuing. What was motivating Gideon to keep going? Well, there was a victory in front of him. But then there's something else that's less glamorous tonight. I want to give you my opinion, but I believe this with all of my heart. As Gideon rode, I believe he thought about defeating them in order to have victory. But I also believe there was something else on Gideon's mind. As he was tired and weary and faint, 
I believe he remembered something that was behind him. You know, for seven years, this enemy had oppressed him and his people for seven years. For seven years, Gideon and his people lived, if you will, as losers. You look in Judges chapter number six, we won't read it uh, for the sake of time tonight, but there's Gideon hiding behind the wine press, threshing out his wheat. Why? Because the big bad bullies of the Midianites are all around them. And I believe as Gideon rode, and even though he was faint, he was pursuing. He was not just pursuing because the victory was in front of him. I believe he was pursuing number two because the defeat that was behind them. And I'll explain the defeat that was behind them. I believe Gideon understood that if he did not defeat this enemy, then that defeat that they suffered in their past would come back and get them. You see, folks, tonight in the Christian life, not only are we running for something, we are also running from something. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that can save any lost sinner tonight from any sin. Doesn't matter what you're in, what you've done, doesn't matter. He can save you from that. And I've heard this song many times before, the old man is dead. And for those who can honestly say the old man is dead, more power to you. But mine still hangs around from time to time. And he's back there. And he's behind me. He was part of the time that I lived in defeat without Christ. By the way, without Christ, you are living in a constant state of defeat. You're being oppressed, if you will, tonight by the Midianites. And as Gideon rode and pursued the Midianites, not only was he pursuing victory, but he was outrunning the defeat. He says, if I don't defeat them now, they're going to come from behind and defeat me later. Can I tell you why so many Christians who do well they get saved, they're growing in church, their families are growing in church, and then here's what happens. Here's what happens. They start slacking off. They start slowing down. They quit pursuing. Why? Adversity comes. It amazes me. Look, I understand it uh, a little bit, but we have a little bit of adversity come in our life, and the first thing we quit on is God. We don't quit the cable company. We don't quit our work. We don't quit our hobbies. The first thing we quit is the only thing that can help us, and that is God. And so we get a little bit of adversity. The devil knows it, by the way. He knows that we wilt quick, and we're running this race, and we're pursuing, and all of a sudden he sends adversity our way, as in the case of Job. Here comes adversity. And we're like, boy, this is just too tough. And then we stop. Now watch what happens. When we stop pursuing victory, defeat catches up with us. Gideon understood if he did not pursue them and defeat them, that the defeat that he lived in for seven years would come back and overwhelm him. And time and time and time again, I see husbands and wives and homes and teenagers and even churches who quit pursuing victory and get caught from behind by defeat. We all know the story of the tortoise and the hare. All right? Let's think about that hare just for a second. All right? I think about hare all the time. Let's think about the hare tonight, the H. A-R-E. Do you know that hare was more capable than the tortoise? Would we agree with that? All right, can we vote on that? We all agree. All right, the hare was more capable than the tortoise. I mean, rabbits run faster than turtles. All right, some of you are like, huh? Rabbits run faster than turtles, right? All right, we're good. Okay, it's been a long day. I get it, I get it. Even though the hare was more capable, listen closely, the reason the tortoise won is because he was more consistent. The hare was more capable, but the tortoise was more consistent. And when the tortoise, uh, the hare, decided to pull over, that's when the tortoise caught up with them. Now, can I tell you, the old man in your life, 
What God called us out of in our past, those times that we were oppressed by the Midianites, if you will, they are still there. Can I tell you, when I got saved, unfortunately, my flesh did not. It's still there. It still desires and craves the things that were belonging to me when I was living in defeat without Christ. And if I quit pursuing victory, guess what? Here comes the tortoise. The tortoise is the old man. The tortoise is where I come from, and he's going to catch you. So as Gideon pursues victory, I believe what was on his mind was, I can't go back to that. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving forward. I know there's adversity. I mean, look, he's fighting an army, 120,000 men versus 300, and then a squabble breaks out in his own ranks. That would make anybody want to quit. But Gideon just kept going and kept going and kept going. Why? Because number one, he was chasing a victory. But number two, he was trying to outrun defeat. He says, I can't go back there. We can't let them win. Several years ago, somebody I led to the Lord in Louisiana, a uh, guy was going to our church, uh, new Christians, you know, new Christians, they're figuring this thing out. And a couple of the new Christians butted heads, you know. And sometimes as pastor, you're like a referee. Sometimes I want to get one of those shirts, you know. And I want to throw flags and stuff from time to time. And uh, I looked at one Sunday, and there one of my new Christians goes out the door before church. Gone. I couldn't catch him because he got in his car and pulled out the parking lot before I, I had to go preach, you know. And uh, so after church, I called him and said, hey, brother, where are you at? I quit. I said, why do you quit? And he says, well, that guy just being a jerk and all this, that, and the other, and I just don't want to go to church there anymore. I've tried. I quit. And I said, brother, I says, look how far God's brought you. Remember who you were when you came to our church the first time? So far from God. Now look what you're doing. God's using you. You're serving. I mean, look how far God's brought you. I said, if you stop, all that God saved you out of, listen, it's going to come back and get you. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to look just like you did, act just like you did, talk just like you did when you were living in captivity. Why should you pursue even when you feel faint? Because if you don't, the Midianites are going to catch up with you. You know, the children of Israel... God brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of Egypt, and they're on their way to victory of the promised land. And man, here comes adversity, adversity, adversity. And after a while, finally, you know what? It caught up with them. And God says, not only are you not going to have the victory of the promised land, but that old Egypt finally got its hands back on the children of Israel, and they perished in the wilderness. Folks, can I tell you tonight, if you're not careful, Egypt's going to catch up with you. I believe old Gideon, I don't know if he's riding a camel or what he was riding, and he's, he's chasing after the Midianites. I'm sure he thought, you know what? We've done run them out of, the, uh, out of the county, out of the country, really. They crossed over to Jordan. I mean, hadn't we done enough? Can we slack up just a little bit? It's just a small ragtag band of renegades. We've killed most of them. And Gideon says, no, I can't let up. Why? Because I can't afford to go back to defeat. And if we don't finish the job, if we don't keep going in spite of this adversity, they're going to come back and they're going to catch us. I'm going to ask you this quick question. What has God delivered you from in your life? What has God delivered you from? I'm sure we could go around the room tonight. We'd be here for days talking about things God delivered us, captivity that God delivered us out of. And boy, now you're running your race, you're doing good, you're on your way to victory. But man, all the adversity of the last six months is just wearing us down and you're tired and you want to quit. I even confessed the other day and I told you, I told my wife, I tried acting like Christ and it didn't work. That was one of those vent days where you just kind of have to spray every once in a while. Man, it's tough sometimes. But whatever God's delivered you from, 
if you slow down and you stop in the midst of this adversity, those things are going to catch up. And that tortoise is going to beat that hare all over again. So what motivated Gideon? I believe what simply motivated Gideon was the victory that was in front of him and the defeat that was behind him. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Notice that principle. Sin will beset you, slow you down. The Bible says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. God wants us to run tonight. Why? Because if you don't, defeat's going to catch back up with you. Captivity's going to catch back up with you. That old man's going to catch back up with you. The Bible says we were called out of darkness into light, and God just wants us to keep on going, all right? But if you slow down, darkness will slowly but surely catch back up with you. 2 Corinthians 6, the Bible tells us to come out from among them and be ye separate. Come out. Come out, come out. God set us free from all of that. The reason he says, I want you to be separate from it, because if you don't put some distance between you and it, it's going to come back and it's going to catch you. I tell teenage boys this all the time. I'll say this, I will be done. David was a man after God's own heart. David, great victory man of God, used to do things that we all envy to this day. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Samson, most likely the strongest man who ever lived, and yet they all fell at one point in their Christian lives. You see, that'll show you tonight, if David was susceptible and Samson and Solomon were susceptible, who do we think we are that we don't have to keep going? We've got to keep our feet moving. Why? Because there's a victory in front of us. But there's also something that ought to scare us. There's defeat right there behind us. And Gideon says, you know what? We suffered too long. We lost too much time. We lost too many years. He says, you know what? Listen, dad, you ought to decide tonight. Listen, godly dad, you ought to keep this thing moving. I'm going to keep my feet moving. We're going to race toward the victory. Why? Because I don't want my kids growing up in captivity. Folks, tonight, if we don't keep our feet moving in the midst of this adversity, we're going to miss out on the victory, and we're going to allow defeat to catch us. And oh, what a shame. Because God has assured us, just like he assured Gideon, the victory is ours if we're just willing to fight for it.